from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah. Hear now the word of God for you who are the people of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Along with the text that Jamie read for us, we also have set before us the gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 uh, through 25. I'm going to encourage you, even if it's not your practice, to look for one of the pew Bibles, just to pull it out and turn to page one in the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Mark was the first book written, but Matthew gets first place in the New Testament. And the reason I'm asking you to pull out uh, the Pew Bible and look to page one is because I want you to see as Matthew 1 begins, the first 17 chapters uh, is commonly referred to as Jesus' genealogy. It's his origin story. It's his people. It's who he belongs to, where he has come from. Those who put together the lectionary do not include the genealogy. Maybe we're thankful for that because there are some strange names and strange stories that are attached to these people. And yet what I think it does for us as we listen once again to the birth of Jesus the Christ, it does for us, it, it sets for us a window into history to understand that Jesus has a particular history, that he fulfills a particular prophecy, that there is a line that comes before him that had seen God's faithfulness, that had seen God's forgiveness, that helps us focus in on the power of the coming of Christ. It's good to remember that there is a backstory as we hear once again these words from Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus the Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had 
resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the young woman, the virgin, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that this old, old story would be received with fresh eyes and new ears and a willing and open spirit so that we would be changed, different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, as I was preparing for the sermon this week and as I was reading through this very familiar passage, I actually came to a place where I started to wonder how much time actually passed between the moment that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and the moment he made the decision to quietly dismiss her. I wondered how much time, if any, uh, was experienced between those two moments, those two decision points. Of course, when we read uh, any text, and that includes the text I read for us this morning, Matthew chapter 1, we just roll from one verse to another without uh, explanation, without commentary. We just read it verse to verse to verse. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And we move immediately to verse 19. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But I'm wondering if there is space between those two verses. I'm wondering if there is some significant amount of time that Joseph took to process the news that Mary was pregnant. Time to consider his anger. Time to consider what may have been feelings of humiliation, feelings of fear, feelings of betrayal, feelings of, of, of confusion, of uncertainty, of fear, any one of a thousand emotions that would be accessible to any human being in a moment like that one. Friends, I can't imagine Joseph arriving at his decision to dismiss Mary quietly without some significant time of deliberation, 
without some significant time of, of discernment. Perhaps it was hours, perhaps it was days, but perhaps it was, it was weeks from verse 18 to verse 19. I suspect that he took some time to make this critical crossroads decision. And as he weighed his options, Joseph knew, he knew that exposing Mary's pregnancy would most certainly put at least her reputation on the line, if not her life. Mary and Joseph's engagement was a legal, legally binding uh, contract. It was subject to the laws of the day. If Joseph were to expose her, she most likely would have been called deranged. Sure, Mary, you became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at worst, she would have been convicted of adultery, perhaps even subjected to the punishment of a public stoning. Now, of course, those of us in 2019 who come to the fourth Sunday of Advent, we know the backstory. We know what we're preparing for. And we know the backstory, not through the gospel writer Matthew, but through another writer, the gospel of Luke. Whereas Matthew elevates Joseph as a central character in the Jesus origin story, it's Luke that elevates the backstory with Mary. From the Gospel of Luke, it's, that's where we learn about the angel Gabriel. From the Gospel of Luke, that's where we learn about the Annunciation. From the Gospel of Luke, that's where we learn about Mary's courage, where we learn about her faith, where we learn about her willingness to allow God to be born in and through her. You know that story. You're here this morning in part because you know the trajectory of that narrative. The angel said to Mary, you remember, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll name him Jesus. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a young woman, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be set apart. That child will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative, your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age has also conceived. This is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, do you remember these words? What Mary said? Here am I, servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. That's the backstory. It's the story that we know. Now, it is quite possible, it is possible that Joseph did not know the details of that story. In fact, scholars, some scholars would argue, some preachers would preach that Joseph was, was flying blind, that Joseph was in the dark about these details, that he didn't know about the angel, that he didn't know about the Annunciation, that he didn't know about how his young, ordinary fiance was part of God's great plan of salvation. That's possible. But it's also possible that he knew everything. It's possible that, that actually he learned it all from Mary. Mary is his fiance. 
I know how things work in my relationship with my wife. I know when we hit these kinds of moments, these, these crossroad moments, these moments of fear, these moments of expectancy, these moments of anxiety, I know she's the first person I want to talk to. Sure enough, Mary may have been afraid, but it is possible that Mary told Joseph everything. And I like to think from time to time that, that she really did. I like to think that he knew about the angels. I like to think that he knew about the Annunciation. I'd like to think that he knew about Mary's courage, that he knew about Mary's faith when she said, here am I, a servant of the Lord. And I'd like to think that 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 went into his decision. I'd like to think that he knew the details, that he knew the backstory, that he had it all in front of him, that he had that knowledge that he kept in front of him as he was making this decision, his deep and abiding love and commitment to Mary. I'd like to think that he also kept in front of him the absurdity of the story. I'd like to think that he kept in front of him the myriad of emotions that were swirling around inside of him. I'd like to think that he kept in front of him uh, his recourse for legal action. With all of that in front of him, with all of it, he does not choose to put her on trial. He does not choose to put her on trial. He does not choose to humiliate her. Instead, he chooses to dismiss her quietly. And if we're paying attention, it's inevitable for us to ask the question, why? Why that choice among all the choices that were in front of him? Now, Matthew tells us that, that Joseph was a righteous man. And, and Matthew connects Joseph's decision to dismiss her quietly with his righteousness. Now, this word in the Greek has the connotation that Joseph is a guy who regularly makes the right decisions. That Joseph's a guy who regularly listens to God's voice and does what God wants him to do. He is righteous. He acts with justice and mercy. He seeks to live his life in accordance with God. He seeks to do what God asks him to do. He's righteous. And as we continue to explore the question of why this particular choice, let me suggest again how much I like to think that Joseph did know the details concerning Mary's pregnancy, right? With such knowledge, think about this, with such knowledge, perhaps his decision not to expose her, perhaps his decision to dismiss her quietly was motivated by his desire not to interfere with God's plan. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe his decision was motivated by his righteousness to get out of Mary's way. To get out of God's way because he's a righteous guy and he he wants to do what God wants to do. And maybe what happened was that he discerned that this is what God wanted to do. Maybe his righteousness was the motivating factor for him to affirm God's call on Mary. Maybe his righteousness was the motivating factor for him to acknowledge Mary's affirmation of God's call on her. Maybe Joseph believed every word. 
Maybe he believed all the things that she told him about the angel and about the annunciation and about her yes to God. Maybe he believed that she was divinely chosen. Maybe he believed that she was ordained and that his decision to dismiss her quietly was really just an affirmation of her call. Maybe it was just an affirmation of what God was doing because he was righteous and he didn't want to get in God's way. Maybe it was simple as him thinking, God is doing something mysterious. God is doing something new, something I don't understand. And, and look, I don't want to give up Mary. I have a vision of what our life is going to look like into the future. I don't want to give that up. I want that for my life. I want to be married to Mary. And and perhaps he came to the point that said, but this is the greater good. This is what God desires. Maybe this is the sacrifice of faith that God is asking me to make. And so perhaps Joseph is not just dismissing her, but perhaps Joseph is removing himself so God can be God. So that God can work in the world through Mary. Could that have been his rationale? Could that have been what was motivating him in his plan? Who am I, Joseph might have asked, to obstruct what God wants to do? During my, my first year of, of seminary, it was not unusual to be in a conversation with classmates who were not too far removed from college like I was, and to exchange stories about what our parents thought about our choice to go to seminary. Some parents struggled with their daughter or son's call to ministry. Right after their young adult child flourished in their academic programs, after they received a diploma and graduated from their institution, when they thought their son or daughter was on a, a particular track, when they had an idea of what their future will look like or ought to look like in the days ahead, imagining what Christmas dinners might look like 10, 15 years from now as they gather around a table, having a vision of what their professional life might look like when all of a sudden their child comes to them and says, Mom, Dad, I'm going to seminary. I think God's calling me to ministry. And they say, are you sure? Listening to their stories, for, for some of my classmates, it was hard for, for their parents. Some parents even tried to talk them out of it. They'd say things like, the pay is terrible. The weeks are long, stress levels are high, church people are hard to deal with. You gotta work on Christmas and Easter, and nobody wants to do that. Are you sure you wanna do this? Of course, more often than not, my classmates' parents wholeheartedly supported their call to ministry. They affirmed God's call on their life and were supportive of their yes to God. What they were doing was saying yes to their yes of, uh, to God. They were saying yes to them saying, here I am, a servant of the Lord. That's what those parents were doing. Obviously, I want to make this clear, a call to seminary and a call to pastoral ministry is not superior or some sort of super vocation in the economy of God. God calls us for different times and different purposes, each and every one. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make here is that there is a parallel with Joseph. God has called Mary to be the mother of God, 
to bear the Christ child in and for the world. And Joseph makes the decision to let go of his plans, of what he imagined in his own minds for her and for them, to let go of his expectations of what life would have looked like with Mary. He lets go of their engagement, and he decides to trust God's promise to Mary, and he decides to trust Mary's promise to God. He decides to accept God's call on her life. He decides to say yes to her yes. And once he comes to that decision, once he comes to that moment, and you know what this is like when you're at a crossroads, when you've been carrying a heavy burden, when you have to make a hard decision, and you come to that moment where you say, I know what I'm going to do. All of a sudden that burden lifts. You can sleep again, you can eat again, you can concentrate again, and that's where Joseph is. He's in that moment and he's ready to rest. He's probably looking forward to the first great night of sleep he's had in a long time, even as he knows that the prospect of tomorrow will bring life without Mary. And so he goes to bed anticipating the new normal. And then something remarkable happens. <laughs> but just when he had resolved to dismiss her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew says, all of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. What God is saying to Joseph in this dream is this. It's not just Mary that has a part in this story. Joseph, you have a part to play. Joseph, you have something to say yes to. Not just Mary, you have something to say yes to. Take Mary as your wife, name the child Jesus, raise him, he will save his people from their sins. You are just as much wrapped up in my plan as Mary is. What a revelation this would have been for Joseph, the righteous one. Joseph, who thought he was doing the right thing by getting out of Mary's way. Joseph, who thought he was doing the right thing by getting out of God's way, by dismissing her quietly. It turns out that God wants Joseph right in the thick of things. God wants Joseph right smack dab in the middle of the story. And friends, this morning I'm here to tell you, God wants the same thing for us. God wants the same thing for you and for me. God wants us right in the thick of things. God wants us right in the middle of the story. We are part of the plot line. The birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us, is not something we admire from a distance. It's not something that we admire from afar. It's not someone else's story. It's not someone else's call. It's our story. It's, it's our call. It's our chance to be obedient. It's our chance to do justice and, and mercy and, and take righteousness to a whole new level. It's our opportunity to say yes to God. 
For so many of us, we, we teeter in this space where, where what we have said yes to is, is yes to somebody else's faith. I love that old saying in some churches that it goes like this, God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has children. You're, you're not saying yes to your parents' faith. You're not saying yes to their yes or to your grandparents or great-grandparents. You're not, you're not saying yes to the yes that this church makes. You're not saying yes to somebody else's yes. The invitation of Christmas is saying yes yourself, is saying here I am, a servant of the Lord. I wanna be part of this story. Let it be done unto me according to your word. It's not affirming someone else's yes. It's not affirming Mary's yes and Joseph's yes. There's a time for that. There is righteousness there. Now's the time for us to make our own yes. Now is the time to get close to the Christ child, to be part of his family, to see ourselves as part of his genealogy, part of his story, letting it shape our own at Christmas and all the days ahead. Amen.